in, the, in the last few weeks, as we've been doing this series on the kingdom of God, we're going to continue in that series. Um, the, the, the kingdom of God is, we're exploring what the kingdom of God is like. It's not something that's just up there to do with our vertical relationship with, with God. It's not just something in here, in our hearts, but it's something that has an influence on our whole lives. And we're going to continue to look at how the kingdom of God um, influences us, influences everything we do and all our relationships. But before we do that, um, during this series, what we've been doing is we've been reading the passage and then we've been saying the Lord's Prayer together. And while we've been doing that, we're, we're all going to stand. So I'm not going to be the only one standing. So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as I read the passage. And then at the end of that, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. So in Matthew 18, 21 to 35, it says, Then Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You can have a seat. So Mary went to the priest after Mass and said, I've got some terribly bad news. My husband passed away last night. And the priest, with concern and compassion, said to her, Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, uh, did he leave any, any last requests? And Mary said, yes. Put that gun down. 
This uh, passage um, about forgiveness, it's obviously about forgiveness and revenge is, is the stuff to do with um, what it means to be human. It's been written about from the time of the ancient Greeks, You've, um, the Iliad and Odysseus, both those works, the central theme is, is about revenge. Shakespeare takes that up with Hamlet. The, the Count of Monte Cristo, if you ever read that, the whole book is about revenge. And even the classic Western plot line, it's, it, it is all to do with revenge. And even my wife's favorite movie, Ocean's Eleven, central to the theme is revenge. It's interesting when you look up forgiveness and movies and literature and forgiveness, there's a lot fewer. There's these like, you know, best 100 revenge movies and best 100 books on revenge. And then you look at forgiveness and it comes up a lot less. Dead Man Walking from the 1990s, Unbroken from uh, uh, just about eight years ago, about Louis Zamperini, the World War II prisoner of war. Those are two of the very few films that came up. And it's interesting that those films have a very um, distinct religious overtone to them. The parables, and this parable in particular, um, is very simple in its point, very simple in its structure. There's only three characters. There's the king trying to call in his debts. There's the first debtor, um, and then there's the second one. The man who owes a large amount of money, the man who owes a very small amount of money. And it's uncomfortably close to home. The message is very clear. So one of the problems with trying to preach from a parable is that, um, like, how do you make the point again when it's been so made, well made to begin with? But, you know, as, as every preacher, you know, I'll have a go. So we're not going yet. Stay in your seats. But it's interesting, there's a couple of points just as background to this I want to bring out and, and hopefully bring the point home even more. First of all, debt was part and parcel of what it was to live in first century Palestine. There were the rich and they were poor and over 90% of the people were poor and there were very, very few rich. The, 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 the economy was based on, uh, on agriculture and farming. Um, People lived on a subsistence level. They needed those crops to come good. And if they didn't, if the weather didn't, uh, didn't work for them, if the rains didn't come or the rains came too early or it was too warm, then they very easily got into debt. People were living either in debt or very, very close on the edge of getting into debt. This was a reality of first century Palestine. On top of that, we know that it was an occupied country and the Romans as well as using violence and force to um, extend their rule and hold their rule, also used um, getting people into debt as a way of control. The taxes they levied on the outer provinces were immense. And then, coupled with that, if you were a Roman and you were sent out to provinces to rule, it was, a, um, it was considered a pretty raw deal. And in the meantime, you think, well, I'm going to make the most of it, and a lot of... Uh, governors of the provinces made the most of it by enacting even bigger taxes, putting even bigger levies on the people, and then, of course, the people that work for them and the people that work for them and the people that work for them always want, all wanted their cuts, so the taxes 
were huge and people got into debt um, even more just apart from their agricultural lifestyle. So this would have struck a chord very, very close to home as Jesus started this parable. Debt. Everyone knew someone who had been in debt. Maybe they were in debt themselves. And maybe it's a bit close to home for us as more and more people um, fall into poverty in these with the, where the economy is. The other thing I want to point out, the first man who, go, who, who pleads to be let off his debt, pleads, in fact, he doesn't plead to let, be let off his debt, he pleads to give, be given more time to pay his debt. You can imagine he, and in the passage, it actually says that um, he owed 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, a talent was the biggest um, unit of currency, the, the biggest unit of currency at the time. 10,000 was the largest Greek numeral that they used. So if you said 10,000 talents, it was like, like people would have gasped in astonishment at the amount. Like they couldn't conceive of anything bigger, a bigger number or a bigger amount. 10,000 talents. And the parables were supposed to work like this. It wasn't just, here's a nice illustration from the preacher. The, the parables were designed like a joke, which is why I tried to tell a joke at the beginning. It was designed to get a response, even if it's like, oh. Everyone responded in some way, even if he didn't, didn't show it. Thank you for those three people that did. <laughs> parables were designed to be like our jokes. And there was a lot of cultural references, just like those jokes the joke that I, and they were also designed to be exaggerated and often risque and like unbelievable and like what there was actually rulers maybe standing in the audience and many times when Jesus told the parables the point went home all too often people actually wanted to kill him after he told a parable what a nice little story so you can see the parables work like this and this is no different 10,000 talents so let's put it another way. A denarii was one day's wage. They would get one silver coin for a day's wage. 6,000 denarii equaled a talent. That's 6,000 days of wages. That's 20 years worth of a day laborer's wage. So 10,000 talents, that's 200,000 years of wage. I checked this on my calculator, so I know it's right. So if I'm not getting the message across, what about, well, the silver coin? The silver coins at the time, a denarii, they weighed 4.5 grams. So I went on the recent exchange rates for silver. So if, um, and basically 10,000 talents is equivalent to 135 million pounds. So that's just an ex exchange rate of the weight of silver. The point to make, this was huge. 200,000 years of wages, 135 million pounds of debt. It was enormous. Like the, the audience just would have like, how on earth could someone get into that? That is unbelievable. And that's the point. And the other expect, unexpected twist in the tale is the man who owes all this just walks free. That was unheard of particularly under the Romans, to show any mercy 
in Roman culture was a sign of weakness. If you pled for mercy, you got killed. The Romans ruled with violence and force and power. Their moral code was based on violence and force and power. This was unbelievable. This was completely different. This was an upside down kingdom. And I'm trying to convey the enormity of this because actually, if you've been around church for any length of time, if you've read the New Testament, you will know that another story is coming to the surface and it's the story of what Jesus has done for us. He has cancelled our debt. And it isn't a debt, well, you know, okay, um, I'll let you off this time. It is a debt that would take more than 200,000 years to pay back. It's a debt that was impossible for any person to pay back. It was a debt that was too much for us, that burdened us. And Paul in Colossians says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This he set aside, you have no more debt. The things we've done, the things we've said, the things we've thought, the things that are against God's good order and God's plan for us, they've been wiped out because of Jesus. Just take a moment to ponder the enormity of that. That's mercy. That's the operating system of the kingdom of God. That's what the foundation of the kingdom of God, that's what it's based on. A forgiveness beyond our wildest dreams, beyond what we could ever deserve. Compassion and kindness shown through forgiveness. This is mercy. So moving on to the second half of the story, this man has received this huge debt relief. He's been forgiven this huge debt. And he comes and someone else owes him a bit of money. And the story should go, well, do you know what? I don't need your money anymore because my debt's been cancelled. You know, I don't need to pay it off, so I don't need it from you. Nice knowing you. But he doesn't. The twist in the story, another twist in the story, after being freed from millions of pounds worth of debt, he then demands this really small amount in comparison. 100 denarii, 100 days worth of wages, not 200,000, 600,000 times smaller than his own debt and he demands it and he throws the person into prison until he can pay. The ridiculous contrast between the debts exaggerates the point. The mercy shown you is great. You need to take a little bit of that mercy and pass it on. It's so clear in this parable that it's uncomfortable, it's hard to get round, but we do try and get round it. And sometimes we, well, mercy, we'll, we'll show mercy when, you know, when there's excuses. Maybe, you know, the markets were unfavorable and, you know, the poor guy, you know, come on, let, let him off. There's a recession. 
well, the weather, you know what the weather's been like for the last couple of years, the crops failed, and let's just let them off, you know. The cost of living crisis, well, you know. Well, we know how he was brought up, you know the impact of that, and we know he flies off the handle, just give, give him a bit of a break. Well, you know, did you see the family? No, no wonder he's turned out like that. But no, mercy's not like that. It isn't trying to find an excuse and a reason. Like, well, there's, if there's something in that person, if there's something in those person's circumstances that actually, well, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe they're not to be held responsible. No, they are responsible and they're going to be wiped. The debt is going to be wiped clean. They're going to be forgiven. That's mercy. It is only out of the kindness and compassion and mercy shown by the person forgiving that the person gets forgiven. C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. It isn't about trying to find a back door. It isn't trying to find excuses. Mercy is about excusing the inexcusable, is about forgiving the inexcusable. There's a choice to make every day when we're working with people, when we're living in our families, when we're on the bus. There's a choice to be made when people impinge on us, when they hurt us, when they cause us discomfort. And the choice is we can make them pay or we can pay. That's the choice. There's two options available. That's it. Our economic system is based on the fact that we need to call in the debts. We need to make the other person pay. God's economic system, the operating system is mercy. And that means we pay. Others pay by, in all sorts of ways, thinking, of moving on from the metaphor of just money. People say something to you and you feel hurt. The response is you can get angry, share bitter and angry words. You make them pay. Or you ignore them. Speak to the hand. The whole cancel culture thing is about making the other person pay. They are nothing. They are nobody. You disregard them. Different ways of making someone else pay in our relationships. But the mercy, as it's seen in the kingdom of God, is about us taking the pain and going, okay, instead of inflicting pain and hurt, I'm just going to take that. I'm going to take the hurt and I'm going to choose to forgive. It's not about forgetting or diminishing the, the pain that has caused you. It's about accepting that pain. It's not about forgetting what's happened. It's about accepting, accepting what's happened. Payment is necessary. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's deciding who's going to pay. For, for fully forgiving, we need to acknowledge the full depth of the pain that we've, been, that, that we've experienced. And then we choose to forgive. Timothy Keller says this, forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. To not retaliate is to absorb a cost. But then there's another issue, there's another side to the coin, and I care some of you may be thinking, well, 
they do need to pay, but sometimes what happens if they committed a crime? What happens if I need to continue to, to work with them, to live with them? And we do need to have those difficult conversations this time. You've hurt me. But we go into those conversations with an attitude of, I'm going to forgive. And sometimes, for one reason or another, we can't enter into those reconciling relationships. That's the ultimate, that's the ideal, but sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Sometimes the people that have hurt us are no longer with us. Sometimes you're no longer in the same circles, they're far away, and to bring up the past, it's more your problem than theirs. Sometimes they just don't admit that they've done anything wrong. But the path of forgiveness is still open to you, open to us. So forgiveness has been likened to opening a door to someone. Reconciliation, though, requires change from the person who's done the harm and the wrong. So I was mountain biking on Friday with my son um, down in the borders and there's been quite a bit of rain this week, so you can imagine off-road trails and uh, there was quite a bit of water and mud around. And there was a bit of less water and mud on the paths after we'd cycled through. It was, mo it was on us. I was covered in mud. And if I was to come into my home and just walk straight in, I don't think I would have been staying there that night. I needed to do something before I went in. I needed to take dirty shoes off and then walk into the house. I need to clean my shoes before those shoes came into the house. That's the point I'm making. That's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We can always have an attitude of forgiveness. We can always forgive. It's not dependent on someone else. It'd be great if we could reconcile. But sometimes it's not possible. And forgiveness isn't just something... And showing mercy like this isn't just something that we do sometimes. And that's the point that Peter makes, isn't it? Should I, should I forgive? How many times should I forgive? Seven times. Peter thought he was being generous. I mean, sometimes in our culture, giving someone a second chance is considered generous. The religious leaders of the day had put a number on it. You are to forgive three times. Someone hurts you, someone harms you, someone owes you three times. They had a number. They had got it down. And actually what, what Jesus is challenging here is that whole idea that forgiveness is something that can be pinned down and boxed in and rules can be written and laws can be made. He's blowing that out the water when he says 77 times, some translations translated 70 times 7. It's this huge number. He's saying, stop counting. Forgiveness, showing mercy in my kingdom is not about um, the number of times. It's not about the laws and the rules. It's about these greater values of compassion and kindness and generosity and abundance that can't be measured, that can't be pinned down. They're to be experienced and they're to be given. And that's mercy. N.T. Wright says this, if you're still counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you're not really forgiving them at all, but simply postponing revenge. That's hard. That's hard. When I read that, I was like, oh, I don't know if I should use that. And then I thought, no, I'll use it anyway. 
Jesus finishes the whole parable with the same point. This is about heart matters. Right at the last verse, verse 35, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's not legalism. It's not the laws and rules. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. So showing mercy. Our own forgiveness is connected with us forgiving others. We've prayed it already in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. In case the point's not clear enough, in Matthew 6, 14 to 15, Jesus says this, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's hard. I thought salvation was free. I thought I didn't have to do anything. You don't. But if you don't forgive, you're going to block your own salvation and you block your own forgiveness. Unforgiveness causes a blockage which means we can't receive forgiveness. Our hearts are either open to God and everyone or they're shut. So it's like breathing. In order for me to take the oxygen-filled fresh air into my lungs, I first need to get rid of the carbon dioxide-filled stale air from my lungs. Another illustration to make the point. Um, I was doing some work in my driveway in the summer and um, I thought I, just, I needed, there was a steep lip on my driveway and the car kept catching on it. So I thought, take a couple of, few paving slabs away, make a nice smooth, smoother, gentler gradient so the car doesn't catch on it. Job done, great. The last paving slab I lifted looked like this, whoever's in charge of that. I didn't even know there was an inspection pit there with, to do with the drainage. I lifted this paving slab and there's like, what? And then in the bottom of it, there was some really foul-smelling, gungy... I didn't know what it was. After a couple of seconds, I thought, I think I know what this is. <laughs> so what did I do? I immediately put that back and phoned a guy to come and clean the drains. So the surge was backing up. It was filling up the bottom of the inspection pit. Not good, not good. So what happened? Well, the guy cleaned it all out for us and I was imagining having to dig up the driveway and you know, put in new surge pipes and it was like, oh, the, the... But anyway, what had happened was, quite simply, a brick had fallen into the surge pipe. You think, how, how can that happen? Well, the next picture will show you. Um, back in the olden days, they used to have little inspection points for the surge, so they would have a bit that was open, so they could see that the water, that the surge was flowing. Um, great idea, um, but the problem is things fall into that little hole like a brick had fallen in and blocked up the surge pipe, so it was backing up, and it had been backing up for, the guy who said, probably a few years um, before we moved in. So it was all clean now, it was unblocked. Unforgiveness is a bit like that block surge. It causes all sorts of mess and foul-smelling stuff in our hearts, and it oozes out into our lives. The Harvard Forgiveness Project was a two-decade-long psychological project to look at the impacts of forgiveness and unforgiveness on people. Discover this. Those people who chose not to forgive 
have the greater experiences of depression, anger, stress, and even cardiovascular disease. Those who chose to forgive saw a reduction in those same symptoms, like depression and anger, and saw a rise in feelings of hope, actions of compassion towards others, increased self-confidence, and a better immune response to fight infection. The psychologists have stumbled upon a truth that's in the New Testament. We were made to forgive. And it's not just our own personal hearts that are um, at our risk here. Sorry, Ephesians. Paul in Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 makes it very clear. He encourages us to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So get rid of and instead forgive. So it's not just on our own interior worlds on our own immediate relationships that this has an impact on, but wider society as well. And it was Martin Luther King said, forgiveness is the Christian weapon against social evil. When someone starts to choose to forgive, it has a huge ripple effect amongst others. To open hearts towards God, to keep our hearts open towards God, we need to be, keep our hearts open to others and forgive. Sometimes that happens on a day-by-day -day, day -day basis. On the bus on the way in this morning, the guy behind me was getting really, really angry at another guy in the bus. There's a young lad with a phone playing music on the phone. I don't understand this either. Like, earphones were invented a long time ago, so I'm, I'm completely with the guy behind me. But, my goodness, the guy behind me, he was like, you're so disrespectful. But he had another few adjectives and nouns in there. <laughs> and I'm, It's really easy to let unforgiveness, just let it pass. You know, it's a Sunday morning, we're just trying to get where we're, you know, and with work colleagues and family, choosing to forgive quickly is an important thing, but sometimes that doesn't happen. A number of years ago, I realized that a previous church leader in a previous church, um, every time I thought about them, I had feelings of anger rise up. If they were talked about in conversation, I realized I was being overcritical of the person. And I realized, as God pricked my conscience, I needed to do something about it. There had been a few years of receiving angry outbursts from the person, from my work being belittled, others being put down in my presence, and being told it was not my place to ask questions. And these things had built up over the years. It's my warning. And I realized I needed to let this go. I needed to forgive. So... I, I forgive God, I, I forgive this person, it's fine, let's, let's move on. And it was a bit of a surprise because the next time the person came into my thoughts, the next time they were mentioned or an incident came up and I was reminded of them, I still had these angry feelings. And what I realized I had to do was every time this person came into mind, I had to forgive them, I had to choose to take the payment. And I don't know how long it took, but I realized after a while that when this person mentioned, when I think about them, those feelings of anger have gone. 
with the help of the Holy Spirit and with time and with an intention behind it, we can forgive. We can show the mercy that we have been given. As I come to an end, I do realize that there's the issue of justice as well as forgiveness. That actually some perpetrators have committed a crime. They, they, they do need to pay on this earth. And sometimes we don't see justice on this earth. Sometimes they don't get caught. Sometimes they don't admit. And that is hard. But we can trust Jesus with our lives. If we have been betrayed, hurt, damaged by others, it's very real. It feels real on the inside. And it's very hard, very easy to say, well, no one else knows what this mistreatment is like. But just to reflect a moment. I'm sorry for the hurt you've received and the way you've been mistreated, but I also know that King Jesus knows what it's like to be trodden on, abused, have his voice silenced, betrayed and deserted by his closest friends, to suffer violence and indignity and the worst form of uh, miscarriage of justice. He knows what it's like. You can trust him with your heart. And secondly, that was the very means of us receiving our forgiveness, of us receiving mercy from him when Jesus died and suffered on the cross. But the cross also points forward to the future. Jesus is returning. Jesus promises to make everything right. Jesus promises to overturn every, uh, every unjust act. He will bring people to judgment who need to be brought to judgment do we just trust Jesus to make all things right at the end we need to take people off our hook and put them on Jesus hook whether we ever see justice meted out or not we leave them for Jesus the merciful judge to bring justice As we finish, there's various ways we can respond. Some of us, you know, need to receive that mercy from Jesus again afresh today to go, you know what, I, yes, I've messed up again. I need to receive your forgiveness again this morning. I need to be free of that so that I can be free to forgive others. Some of us need to think about our relationships and our workplaces and family situations and and just be more ready to forgive on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. And others of us need to think about the past and go, actually, I've got some forgiveness to do. I need to let that person go. I need to be intentional about it. And it might be a process and it might take time. And you might need to keep having to do it. And sometimes the things we've suffered can be big and it can affect our lives, they can affect even the trajectory of, the life, of our lives and the way they've gone, and sometimes we can't do that on our own. And that's why we've got this, we've got community, we've got church. Maybe you need someone just to stand with you and pray. Say, those, say something out loud, and sometimes for some of us, it's more than that. Actually, you need to speak to maybe one of the pastoral staff here, or sign up for counselling. You think, I, this is... This has blocked my life. This is, this is too big for me. To, I, can't, I can't even bring myself to, 
to even think about forgiving someone, and maybe counselling and pastoral counselling uh, is needed. So speak to someone, I encourage you. Because Jesus is still forgiving, he's still the merciful king this morning. Um, we'll finish there, I'd just like to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing mercy that you've shown us that's still freely available. Father, we just humbly come and receive your mercy afresh and again this morning. Thank you that you brought us into your kingdom, that we could live lives free and live lives that expand and extend your kingdom. May we be those people, may we be those people who are ready and quick to forgive, ready to show mercy. Father, and when we find that hard and painful and difficult, may you give us your Holy Spirit to help us and give us others to walk alongside us. So Father, we commit our ways into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.